Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. It was a snowy day. The roads hadn't yet been cleared, and there were snow drifts everywhere, but Tom finally arrived at his destination. And so arriving, he pulled the car over to the side of the road. And and to his left, there was an ironwork gate with the words spelled above the gate. F.B. Moore, seven acres. And, And beyond the gate, just on the other side of the gate, you could see the road wending its way up to the top of the hill. And on top of the hill was a mansion, and the mansion was called the Big House. And and inside that mansion, on the top of the hill, what was it called? The Big House. Preparations were being made for Christmas. The Christmas tree was being trimmed. Do you remember those days? Eggnog was being served. There was the sound of music everywhere. There were colors. There was the smell of evergreens in the air. Oh, evergreens. Smell them in right now. Can you, do you know what that smells like? Smell it, smell it in right now, evergreens. The smell of evergreens. And as Tom sat there thinking about what was happening up at the big house, he thought to himself how crazy he was. To be there, attending his ex-father-in-law's Christmas party. Where in those seven acres is Anne? Was she in the caretaker's cottage or was she up at the big house with the rest of her father's guest? And was George Calhoun there with her? Tom couldn't bear the thought of and being with George Calhoun, laughing with him, eating breakfast with him, cozying up next to the fireplace with him. You see, Anne had once been Tom's wife. But by this time next year, she would be George Calhoun's wife. And so George sat there thinking about that. But wait, but, but by this time next year... I'll be married to Martha. Yes, I'll be married to Martha next year. And all this, all this longing, all this thinking, all this yearning and all this regretting will stop. But deep down inside, Tom knew that when Anne married again, it would not stop. It would not stop for him. And he also knew that he would never marry Martha. Angry and and ashamed of himself, Tom turned the car around, and instead of going through the gates up to the mansion on the hilltop, Tom decided to turn around and drive back into town. But as he drove, he just couldn't stop thinking about it. And so a voice in his head said, so Tom, why don't you do something about it? Do what? What? Call, Call Anne and insist on seeing her for what? To continue to cause the pain all over again? To, to tell her that I'm a fine new man. Oh, and by the way, I'm not the jerk I once was. I've changed. I, I really have. 
what about Peggy? Do I just sit back and let my daughter accept? Perhaps to even love another man as her father? Ah, his darling daughter Peggy. The child of his love. The daughter and the darling of his heart. Last time he had seen her had been on a clear, cold November day just a a few weeks ago when he arrived at the apartment, at Anne's apartment overlooking the East River in New York. The first thing she said to him with tears in his eyes, Daddy, Daddy, why did you take so long to come back? She was asking him these things as he took her mitten hands. And as they walked to the zoo together, Daddy, Daddy, why did you take so long this time to come and see me? Tom could hardly tell his five-year-old that he couldn't stand coming to the apartment where she lived a life that he knew nothing about. Tom could hardly tell his five-year-old daughter how he dreaded marking the changes in her between visits, knowing that he had nothing to do with them. Tom couldn't bear to be in those rooms filled with Anne's books and with Anne's pictures and Anne's touches and and knowing that they were living a life without him. Later, Tom had learned that instead of being out as she always was on the days that he came to visit Peggy, Anne had actually been in her apartment that day. And he had been sick for a week, realizing that she had been behind some closed door, oh so near, and yet oh so unattainable. He wondered what Anne had thought of the expensive dollhouse that he had bought for Peggy. Was he continuing in his extravagance? Was he trying to impress her? Or worse yet, was he in some way trying to win Peggy's affection away from her? Oh, no, no, that's Anne didn't think like that. She never had thought like that. All their troubles had not come from Anne's thinking. It had come from his thinking. And so as Tom neared into town, he passed by an old country inn where he and Anne had often stopped going to and from her father's house. He had decided to stop there for a minute and drink a warm drink and to call Martha in New York to tell her that he'd be late. Oh, poor Martha. Poor Martha. A victim of his unending love for Anne. As he walked into the phone booth, he, he dialed and, and Martha answered the phone. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, Martha was a lovely, smart, attractive girl. He had met Martha a year after the divorce, and he was hopeful that Martha was the one, but now he knew no one could replace Anne. And so Martha answered the phone, Oh, darling, how are you? Martha asked. Tom responded, and he said, Well, Martha, I just just wanted to tell you that I may not get back until late tonight. Get back. Tom, where in the world are you? Um, I'm, I'm taking a drive in Monroe County, Pennsylvania, in the Poconos. Tom, what in the world are you doing there? Well, I, 
I guess I just want to get into the Christmas spirit, I suppose. And there there was a long, breathy pause. He shouldn't have told her where he was. Tom, are you seeing Anne? Uh, of course not. Of course not. I just, darling, I, I'm just going to be late. Well, don't be too late, Tom. She hung up the phone. Annoyed with himself and unfairly annoyed with Martha, he picked up his change and he turned to leave the booth. And when he turned to leave the booth there, he saw them through the glass panes of the phone booth. There he saw them in the foyer in the hallway. There was Anne with her fur coat powdered in snow. There was little Peggy with her mittens taking them off, looking like a beautiful little ice princess. And there also standing with his back towards him was George Calhoun. The three of them talked there in the hallway. And then he saw Anne and Peggy go into the diner, into the dining room. They, he saw them order some hot chocolate. And as they were being served that hot chocolate, he wondered what George Calhoun would order to warm himself for the last lap of the trip to his future father-in-law's house. He stared there hungrily at his ex-wife and daughter, finally eyeing with near hatred George Calhoun's tall, broad shoulder back. Tom's hands trembled as he opened the door to the phone booth. He continued to glance apprehensively into the dining room. And then he went to the bar and ordered a hot drink. Well, that was that. Merry Christmas, huh? Oh, joyous Noel. He had seen his wife and child for Christmas. He had also seen the man who would marry the woman that he still loved. The man he could, who could give her everything she wanted. And the man who was just right for her. The man who was just right for Anne. Where had he heard those words before? Oh yeah, it was, um, it was Alice Godfrey, one of Anne's best friends. He had run into her while he was taking a walk in Central Park. And, and not wanting to seem desperate, yet he was curious about Anne. And so he asked Alice, still sick at heart. He said, Alice, I've, I've heard that Anne is, is doing well and, and she's going to marry again. What is the man like? And Alice, with a, with a glitter in her eye, almost a triumph in her eye, had then gone on to describe George Calhoun building him up, laying it on thick. Tom had always been quite aware that Alice never liked him, along with several of other of Anne's friends, but... He had never seen the hostility so clearly before. But now he realized what had really upset him about her glowing description of of George Calhoun. You see, when Tom and Anne had met, none of her friends, none of her family had ever said that Tom was the right man for her. 
You see, they accepted the fact that they were in love and that they were going to marry, but no one had ever said, you're the right man for her. After all, who was he? Who was Tom? He was an ordinary young lawyer from Boston without any money, without any background, without any status. But Anne, wonderful, beautiful Anne, the daughter of one of the most famous theatrical producers in the country, a girl who showed brilliant praise for the theater herself. So where did he fit in? What could he do for Anne? Well, I'll tell you what he could do for Anne. He could buy her a tiny two-room apartment. He could make her do all the housework herself so that she would have no time of her own. He could give her a daughter. And in all these ways, he could steal all the talent from her. He can watch her uncomplaining become a woman like so many others. A wife, a mother, a cook, and a drudge. That's what Tom could do for Anne. And then on the weekends, he could whisper away and drive out to the Poconos where he could take her to her daddy's mansion on the top of the hill of seven acres, and he could watch her respond to and bloom under the luxury like a plant replaced in its natural soil. Everything considered, it was inevitable that he should be the one that took her down the path which led to the day when everything had fallen apart. That day, Tom had come into the apartment. All the lights were turned off. And when he snapped the lamp on in the living room, he found Anne sitting in the chair. Her face was pale. Her eyes were without any expression. He should have known that during Christmas time, she would be going to the bank and she would be drawing extra money for Christmas gifts, only to find no money in their bank account. Tom, Tom, what did you do with all our money? Oh, and I, I bought stock. Tom, you bought stock. We had enough money in our bank account to buy a home. Tom, how much stock did you buy? Buy a home? You, you mean buy a, buy a starter home in a, in a, in a middle-class neighborhood in the, in the suburbs? No, thank you, Ann. What's wrong with that, Tom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, as, as, as if you would like a small little home in a middle-class neighborhood. After, after you've lived in, in daddy's big estate, um, um, in, in his big house on the top of your hill, if, if you'd like that. Anne didn't even ask a word about the stock, and, and it was wonderful, beautiful Canadian stock. Tom had bought the stock for $8 a share, and he had watched it grow to $40 within a few months. And, and he still decided to wait and, and, and sit on that stock, hold on to that stock until it hit its stride. The broker said that, that just come January, it was going to top $100 a share. And at that point, then he would sell out and he could come and tell Anne what a rich man he had become. But of course, for him, 
There was no bonanza. There was no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. In fact, January came and the Canadian stock proved worthless. All it was good for was to be used as wallpaper for their home. Seven years worth of savings lost. But what made Tom the sickest about it is that Anne did not accuse him. There were no recriminations. There were no questions from Anne. And so, hating himself, he turned on her. It was her fault. It was her fault. It was because of her love of of luxury and her lavish lifestyle and because she was spoiled and she was demanding and she was dissatisfied because she was high maintenance that he did that for her. It was her fault. And the ultimate way of torturing her was saying, now you're free to go back to daddy's home, to daddy's, daddy's big house on the top of the hill. Live, go back and live with your rich, famous father and go find a man who's right for you, who can give you everything you want because apparently I'm not that man. And never really fought back. But she did send Peggy away to her father's home so that she wouldn't have to hear those last dreadful scenes. And so Tom finally realized that even then Anne was thinking of him, looking for ways to protect his dignity and to maintain his daughter's respect for him. And so back in the present, the door to the bar opens and in walks George Calhoun. He sits at the bar And he asks the bartender for a drink. The bartender puts the shot glass, fills it up, and there George Calhoun takes it down. He asks for another shot. And Tom is looking at him and he doesn't like what he's seeing. Give me another one. (laughs) The bartender tells George, the radio says there's a blizzard on the way. What? Yeah, there's there's a blizzard. There's a storm coming. George says, oh, great. That's exactly what I need. Be stuck here in a snowstorm in these backwoods. And as Tom is... Looking at George Calhoun, doesn't like what he sees, he doesn't like what he hears, and he begins to feel an odd sensation. Right under his eyes, there's this bluntly handsome features. They were clarifying as sudden perception and insight let him see Calhoun for who he really was. This was hardly the man that Alice Godfrey had described so glowingly. Oh, sure, all the externals were there. But this was a man who was not at ease with himself, a man who was not beloved or sure of love, a man whom Tom clearly recognized. You see, sitting before him was a reflection of his former self. And so once again, fragments... Fragments of memories come back into Tom's mind of that last hopeless fight between himself and Anne. 
It's enough, Tom, Anne cried. It's enough. Tom, you keep talking about the kind of man I really need. Why why don't you stop being so ambiguous? Tom, why don't you tell me what sort of man that is since you seem to know so well? And And then, Tom, why don't you become that man? Forgive me, Anne. Forgive me, Anne. How could I have been so cruel? How could I have been so unfair? How could I have been so downright vicious? Is it too late? God, is there still time? And so quickly, Tom paid his tab. He stood up. He walked into the dining room. And looking around the room, he quickly saw Anne and Peggy sitting at the table by the hearth. Anne's fur coat was thrown over the back of her chair. Anne looked warm and innocent and beautiful. She was leaning forward to to coax Peggy to drink her hot chocolate. And when Peggy saw Tom, her face just lighted up. Daddy, Daddy! Anne turned around and saw Tom coming close to her and, and he could read the enormous question mark and the instinctive fear in her eyes. But without showing it, she said, Tom, how wonderful it is to see you. What are, what are you doing here? Well, I, I was just taking a drive through the country. I guess it was a nostalgic, sentimental journey. And then something happened to his smile, and he bent over and kissed his little daughter, Peggy, on the head. Hello, my little Peggy. She squirmed around in her little chair and and grabbed his arms with with two eager hands, as little daughters do with their fathers. Her chin was smudged with with chocolate, and her eyes were dark and shiny. Tom felt a bit uneasy. He felt the the room kind of moving around in circles. But he succeeded in reaching out to Anne's hand, and she shook his hand, and and he said, "Can Can I take a seat? Sure. Sure you can, Tom. So Tom came around and took a seat at the table. I've heard so many wonderful things about you, Tom, Anne said. I hear you have a fine job in the district attorney's office and and that you're doing so well. Yes, yes, thank you, Anne. You see, she had been keeping track of him as well. Where are you living now? Well, I, I have a little place off uh, Gramercy Park, uh, three rooms, not much, but it's neat, it's, it's compact, and, and I'm one of the privileged few who have a key to the park. Anne was silent, waiting to hear more. And sometime I, I'd like you to see it. I, I've made some cabinets and some bookcases, I've even painted the walls. And he forced a smile, but Anne didn't, didn't smile back. He knew that this probably wasn't the best of ways, but he wasn't in a position to choose. He just wanted to make his desperation come out like small talk. And, and I, I also have a dog. You remember that little honey-colored uh, cocker that we never got, Pogo? Uh, he uses the park. And wet her lips, they stared at each other for a long time. 
From the question in her eyes, he knew that she had heard about Martha. He just felt downright sick about that. You see, Tom had changed. He, he was a different man. He was hardworking. He was content with the little that he had. And, and not deriding himself because he was not anywhere near the top. But this changed man was getting ready to settle down with Martha. At least that's what she thought. Peggy bored with adult talk. She just interrupted and, and she said, Daddy, did you see it's, it's snowing outside? Yes, little Peggy, it is, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? Uh, Daddy, I asked Santa Claus to bring me a sled and a dollhouse. Do you think he'll bring me a dollhouse? And then Peggy asked her dad what was uppermost in her mind. Daddy, will you spend Christmas with us this year? Well, darling, I, um, I don't know. I, I think you've got all the guests you need, Peggy. Uh, I'm, sure the, I'm sure the big house is full of all kinds of people. Anne and all this didn't say a word. She just continued to stare. Um, and I saw him in the bar. George looks like a fine man. Yeah, he's, he's nice, Anne said, continuing to avoid direct eye contact with him. And, and do you love him? Tom, that's, that's not for you to ask. And I, I, think it is, I think it is right for me to ask. No longer trying to hide the desperation of his love. And if, if someone asks me what I wanted most of all in this world for Christmas... I'd answer this, it's to be with you and Peggy tonight. But of course, I know it's not possible. Is it? See, everything hinged on this one question. All the regrets, all his deepest sorrows of the last two years, all the brand new resolutions and the accomplishments that he now knew they made no sense without Anne. Well, Tom, we're expected at the big house. Uh, yeah, Christmas. Christmas at the big house, Tom said. Um, not, not wanting to, to mock or deride Christmas at the big house, but yes, I, I understand, And Christmas at the big house with a 10-foot tree sprayed with silver and, and hung with chartreuse balls. Yes, the record player playing, giving out soft Christmas carol, a, a pack of guests and, and a mountain of presents beneath the tree. Yes, Christmas at the big house. And I, I couldn't offer you a Christmas like that. I, and the truth is, I don't think you want it, and I don't think you ever did want it. And so what do you think I want, Tom? Well, there's a three-foot tree in my living room hung with bells and stars cut out of gold paper. That is, if Pogo hasn't finished it off. I, in the icebox, there's a, there's a milk bottle full of some pretty fine eggnog mix. And, and, and with the proper additions, it could really be something. And, and the fireplace is on the small side, but there are some colored logs that burn blue and green. And... And, and I don't have much in the way of music, but the church up the block, it plays carolins at midnight. And, and with the window open just to crack, I'm, I'm sure it could be heard. It really isn't much, but I'm proud of that place, Anne. And I want you there with me. 
I know it isn't possible, but I'd like it more than anything in the world. At that point, Peggy interrupted and said, uh, Mr. Calhoun is coming. Tom and, and Anne quickly turned around and, and saw his tall figure making his way across the dining room. His face was quite flushed. His step was quick, albeit a little bit unbalanced, a little bit belligerent. And, and for a moment, Tom felt real pity for George Calhoun, a victim of his and Anne's love for each other. And then Anne turned back to Tom and said, Tom, anything is possible if you want it enough. Anything? Tom asked. He looked at Anne's face, which had changed under his eyes. The doubt and fear in her eyes were replaced by strength and clarity and certainty. And then reaching out, her hand to his. She said, anything. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.